We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When it's too tough for them, it's just right for us. Where would you rather be than right here, right now? The Rock Pile Report with Buffalo Bills season ticket holder, Drew Gear. The Bills make me wanna Here comes in motion on third and eight. Lorky to Zion roll out, buying some time by the sidelines. Stewart can't hold on. He is crunched by one of the best corners in the conference, Josh Jackson. Basically trying to clear things out. Watch as he comes upfield, and everyone else is clearing out to try to create a window. And we talked about Josh Jackson. He is about as good as it gets as a cover corner, stays in phase, and is able to get back to the football and break it up. Another edition of the Rock Pell Report podcast. I am your host, Bill's season ticket holder, Drew Gear. To my right is my producer, Chris Krueger, and that was Brady Quinn and Joe Davis from Fox Sports on one of the best DB prospects in the country, Joshua Jackson. What a week, sports fans! The excitement and tension of the NHL trade trade deadline here in Buffalo. We're one week closer to the NFL draft. And the Rockpile Report has a birthday to celebrate. That's right, folks. Friend of the show, Dr. Kyle Trimble, celebrated the birth of his first child over the weekend. And as I correctly guessed, it was a boy! Congratulations, Kyle. You've agreed to give up sleep, sanity, and the ability to eat a meal in peace for at least the next decade. And congratulations to you, Chris, because you now have to drink a Seagram's. I know. That's disappointing. <laughs> I thought it was going to be a girl. I so thought it was going to be a girl, but... And folks, Chris oh well. gets to do it with his left hand. I'm doing everything with my left hand. If you follow us on Twitter, you probably already know that Chris suffered an injury that can only be described as hilarious. At least to everybody who actually knows him. Chris, why don't you go ahead and explain to the good people exactly what happened to you? All right, let's break someone's clavicle on three. One, two, three, break someone's clavicle! Well, right there, I broke my clavicle on Saturday playing roller hockey in a pickup game. It wasn't even a league game. (laughs) It's just funny hearing you say it out loud. I broke my clavicle at roller hockey. 
Yeah, please explain to our audience how you can break your clavicle standing behind a plate with your glove lowered to your knees. <laughs> Continue your story, Chris. I didn't mean to cut you off. Tell the, tell the good people how you hurt yourself. All right, so I toe-dragged around this scrub. I made him look like a traffic cone. And I was down by the goal line, and I cut back to the slot, and the goaltender put his paddle down. And my skates hit his paddle, and I went flying. And I landed on my shoulder. And then I'm laying there, and I'm like, how am I going to uh, rub one out? <laughs> was that the first thing? That, that was the do? first thing I said. <laughs> how am I going to rub one out? Jesus Christ. Folks, Chris and I like to have a debate. We, we argue over it all the time. What is a real sport and what isn't? I'm not trying to say that softball is a real sport, but here's what I'll say. I've suffered probably two of the most extreme injuries you can while playing softball, and that's a fractured shin. I've broken both of them. Fractured both of my shins playing softball. Literally freak incidents. And sure? yet, Wait, my entire life wasn't disrupted by it. Meanwhile, but, but, but I just take that in stride, and I don't see softball as being a real sport. But I bust on Chris because in my head... Roller hockey really isn't even. I mean, oh, yeah, I picture it like Kramer when he's taking karate with the children and he goes, well, we're all at the same skill level, so it's okay. <laughs> no, I would have thought you would have broken your shins uh, jumping fences running from the police. <laughs> oh, Chris. So... Sunday, my groomsmen and I went out to get fitted for tuxes for the wedding and we had an afternoon out on the town. <laughs> so, first and foremost, a big shout out to the uh, the men and women who work at the at the men's warehouse on Walden Avenue. We apologize, but we don't really. We made their day because we were probably the that most. That one big guy just kept laughing at like <laughs> everything that came out of Dave's mouth. Well, because we were terrible. You can't get a group of us together. I'm talking about sharding in public. Dave's just talking about what a, what a mess he is personally and also what a mess everyone else in the store is. Just undressing random customers who are just in the store and heckling them. I mean, literally, you couldn't have asked for a worse but funnier group to roll through the front door of your store. Yeah, and then it also helps that I show up with a broken clavicle one less the, than 24 hours. One of the best moments of the entire day was when the wind blew Chris's jacket off and he needed somebody's help to get it on. But yeah. in the moments leading up to him getting it back, he looked like a dog chasing its own tail. Yeah, I didn't... I didn't <laughs> I, I still don't think I figured out how to get dressed with a fucked up arm. We heckled Chris all day. I'm not kidding. Literally all afternoon. Our friend had to zipper his jacket for him. And at one point, like, you know, whenever he would have to go to the bathroom when we were out at bars, we'd make fun of him for that too. But Chris, that's what friends are for, right? I mean, if, if we aren't here to keep you honest. Yeah, if, if you think you are a friend of mine, then, <laughs> then you go ahead and think that. Chris, cheers. Oh, and that brings us to this week's Bill's News Update. The biggest news of the week, Vontae Davis decides on Buffalo. The news broke yesterday afternoon that after visiting five different NFL teams, including the Raiders, the Dolphins, the 49ers, and the Browns, veteran cornerback Vontae Davis has agreed to a one-year contract with the Buffalo Bills. Now, that signing to me personally is incredibly interesting on a few different fronts. 
First and foremost, there's the impact on our roster heading into the draft, especially pertaining to the possible retention of EJ Gaines. That was my first thing. I was like, there's no way we're going to keep him. I said it when we when we hosted him for a visit. Now, when we look over the roster at the end of the season, the big story in the secondary was the impending departure of EJ Gaines. We've talked about it ad nauseum, how much better our defense was with Gaines on the field versus the other depth options that surrounded him. And word on the street, though, was that Gaines, even with that injury history, was going to command a sizable salary on the open market. I mean, according to SportTrack.com, Gaines was looking at getting 8 to $9 million per year. As a guy who has not played a complete season in the NFL. Yeah, that's, I'm not that's giving him too that. much. It's egregious. I mean, that signing almost certainly means that Gaines will be playing somewhere else next season. Then there's what it does for the roster. I mean, you look at, we have another veteran cornerback on the roster who is a two-time pro bowler and a veteran talent, and it's a solid move to bring a guy with his background in. It gives us somebody else to plug in across from Tredavious White. You know, that, I was could, gonna be, that was going to be my question. Is he playing more nickel or is he playing outside? No, he's playing outside, and this is the thing. When I look at what we want out of our defense, you know, everyone said, oh, but you got to be worried about a regression in Buffalo because they overachieved last year. You're right. We may have. I mean, you look at the, the numbers that that defense put up, but they did enough in the games that mattered in order to get us into the playoffs. What you're talking about doing is you're putting in a, a veteran presence who isn't, and who knows? I can't say for, with any certainty that he's going to be a significant upgrade over EJ Gaines. He's probably going to be a little bit worse, but they trust that the rest of the talent around him in that secondary is good enough that they can go with a slightly cheaper option on a one-year deal that allows them to search for another number two for the future, but that they don't have to address it this season. I mean, that's what it says to me. When I look at the way they want to build this roster, it gives us another legitimate NFL player to plug in across from Trey White. I mean, Trey proved he can be a number one cornerback in the NFL. So we're not asking Davis to do that. So now he goes from being expected to be, quote unquote, the guy for every team he's been with. He can just be another cog in a machine that right now has some solid play in that secondary, especially in his own defense. Well, we're going to get to it later tonight with Connor Rogers from Bleacher Reports, uh, Stick to Football podcast. Um it's one of those things we bring him in for a year, maybe our second second round pick, assuming we don't make any trades. Mm-hmm. Our second second round pick to maybe fifth. You bring somebody in, they learn under the system for a year, and then after this upcoming season, Davis is gone, and that guy plugged in as a number two. I mean, when you talk about what Davis was, I mean, I know he's had a long career in the NFL. He was tra- he started with the Miami Dolphins. He was then traded to the Indianapolis Colts. People like to forget that even though he's been on a, a very forgettable series of Colts teams, you know, at the height of his accomplishments, he went to he went two straight seasons as his team's number one cornerback while not allowing a single touchdown. That is impressive at defensive back in the NFL. And then there's the cap and draft pick implications of the move. At a salary of five million dollars with three and a half guaranteed. His contract isn't cost prohibitive, 
as we head into the start of free agency. Especially not when you consider that Gaines' next contract, again, is being estimated at almost $4 million over that. So even with his missed games last season, for that price, Davis has been more durable over his career. That would seem like an upgrade. I mean, last year, he he's played most of the games in his career right up until last season where he had a core injury that involved surgery and it was a big deal and it took him out of all but five games. But up to that point, he'd played no fewer than 10. EJ Gaines has done the same thing, but EJ Gaines, how many Pro Bowls does he have? I have no idea. I just know he misses a lot of games. He has none because he misses a lot of football games. Then there's the compensatory implications as it pertains to the draft. Because Davis was released and therefore not considered a true unrestricted free agent, he doesn't count when it comes to the comp comp formula that the NFL uses to award teams extra draft picks. Now, when you look at the makeup of the Bills roster, we have a large number of players slated to hit free agency. We really don't have a ton of players under contract right now, and we don't have a lot of cap space available. So the Bills, at an early glance, look like a good bet to be players for compensatory draft picks in the 2019 draft. That's huge when you consider that we just landed what should be, barring injury, a starting cornerback in the NFL. And he doesn't count against us, so we're still going to be in the race when Gaines leaves and signs that $9 million contract for a compensatory draft pick. That's one of the biggest parts of this entire thing to me. Bean is showing with this move, I think, that he understands the nuances of the compensatory formula, the, you know, just just true value of players, how to massage the cap. It's it's important because I don't feel like we've had a GM, Chris, that's been able to do that properly for years. Well, I could go back to our first year of podcasting and pull some audio of you saying the same thing about Doug Whaley. Oh, God. Well, I should... We, we talked about it last week, or two weeks ago, during our 100th episode. If I could go back in time, I'd punch the guy that I was two Dude, years ago with, as far as football knowledge. Now that I've been associated with people who understand football, I've learned it myself, really applying myself to it. I'd slap myself in the mouth over a statement like I that. I think he said you'd spit in your own face, <laughs> is what the, what it, the quote was from uh, episode 100. And then there's the optics of the entire signing. There's a narrative that exists around the Buffalo Bills, and every Bills fan everywhere knows it. It's existed for as long as I can remember, and it's something that we've grown accustomed to when it comes to free agent signings. Think back to last summer with Jeremy Macklin. Veteran players at positions of need come here to Buffalo. We're always a stop. They visit with the team, and then they either either get overpaid to play here they sign a one-year prove-it deal, or because we're the ones who are really offering them significant playing time, and they're looking to leverage that to a starting job somewhere else. We also do offer. Uh, or we also offer uh, big-ticket veteran free agents the a key to the city. Let's not forget that. That's a huge. Huge bonus to signing Buffalo, a key to the city. Or they simply use the Buffalo Bills as leverage with another city in order to get a more a more favorable contract. Again, we saw it with the Macklin situation. Everyone thought it was all but done, and then he went elsewhere. And he sucked, and good for him. Fuck that guy. 
Yeah, I heard Macklin's getting released. As he should be, because he, he did nothing. He was hurt all season long. In this case, we beat out two other up-and-coming teams between the 49ers and the Raiders, and yet we didn't overpay for this guy by any stretch of the imagination. It hints at the fact that at least in terms of free agency, some of this old stigma of the Buffalo Bills might be falling by the wayside. This is what winning and making the playoffs can do for you. Okay? It's just another reason that I can't agree with all of this talk about tanking like Chris over here spent the entire season rooting for. Yeah. Because when you Let's win, tank. because when you win, the optics of it to players in the league, you all of a sudden look like an up-and-coming franchise. You get guys like Avante Davis who says, you know what? I'm not going to rake him over the coals of my price. I want to go play for a team that I think can take that next step. And I think I can be a part of it, or at least that I can be there to rehab my own image. And if they don't retain me, I'll at least project positively towards the rest of the NFL and retire on a fat contract somewhere. That's what you have to portray. And in this last season, our coaching staff, I think, proved that they can do more with less than a lot of other teams in the conference. I mean, is, is that fair, Chris? Yeah, it seems about right. I mean, for all those reasons, I love this signing, and I think it bears good things for the Bills. Now, on a similar note, Chris Ivory visited the Bills on Monday. For all the reasons that the Davis signing makes sense, it makes even more that the Bills hosted running back Chris Ivory for a visit. Come on, Mike Tolbert, he's good, said no one ever. <laughs> Ivory was productive with the Jets. I mean, the guy posted 100,000 yards, oh, 100,000, Jesus Christ, a 1,000 yard season in 2015 and had 1,650 yards combined between the two seasons before that, which led him to signing a lucrative free agent contract in Jacksonville. When he got there, he had two things working against him. One, he was part of a rotation with rookie draft pick T.J. Yeldon. And two, the offensive line was terrible. And then they drafted Leonard Fournette last season, and he basically fell off the face of the earth. Now, Ivory makes sense for the Bills on a couple different fronts. First and foremost, wherever you're listening to this, raise your hand right now if you liked Mike Tolbert as a backup running back in 2017. Now, keep your hand up if you think he deserves to be back for the 2018 season. If your hand is still in the air, you're either a bigger fan of the just the player and his name than his actual production as a running back, or you've had more to drink than I have and someone needs to take your fucking keys away and put you to bed. If you're at work, shame on you. <laughs> shame on you. You obviously went to the bar for breakfast. Ivory would certainly fit the mold of what McDermott is looking for in a backup running back. I mean, you think about it. Ivory has experience playing special teams, which is the reason that our previous backup, Jonathan Williams, was cut. He just didn't play special teams. But he's also put up significant numbers both rushing and receiving. While Tolbert has never put up more than 750 yards and is four years removed from his last season of over 300 yards rushing. He also, as a release player and not a true UFA like Vontae Davis, falls outside the compensatory draft pick formula. So a signing of Chris Ivory would make a lot of sense because it would give us a legitimate number two running back who wouldn't be relied on, 
who could fill special teams roles, who could be there to spell a guy like Guy, a guy like LaShawn McCoy. And at the same time, he wouldn't or at least shouldn't cost us a lot. No, he's already on the back end of his career. He'd be a great number two because as far as I'm concerned, we had no number two last year behind Shady McCoy. We need a number two. That's why we started last week's draft talk with Matt Waldman because we knew we knew going into the draft we were going to need a running back at some point. And now this is what makes – and this leads me into my last bit of news here, and I guess it's more of an editorial. While these visits and signings are exciting, there's something brewing here in the back of my mind that I I, I just can't shake it, Chris. And I've, I've got to tell you. Is it one of your sick farts you've been laying all night? <laughs> I don't know how I feel about this. Chris Ivory would be a nice player for the Bills as an experienced, de- experienced depth option at running back. And Vontae Davis means that we can go into free agency in the draft without really having to reach for a, a second cornerback. I mean, because obviously that's a hole going into this season. These are both positions that could be addressed for less in this year's draft, as far as cap space goes. Because every class seems to have some quality players at running back and cornerback. I mean, when you look at the two classes, especially running back, last week we talked to Matt Waldman about the value of this class and how deep this class is. You've got guys who could be generational running backs. A couple of them. Not just one Ezekiel Elliott, one Todd Gurley. You've got a Saquon Barkley, but you've also got a Sony Michelle. You've got a Nick Chubb. You've got guys who could go on to be bell cow backs for their teams scattered throughout this draft. And yet at the same time, we're bringing in street free agents to audition for that number two spot. It gives me a sneaking suspicion. I mean, when you take into account the fact that we have a boatload of draft picks. Chris, with a class this deep at running back, why would we be why would we be going to the free agent market for a running back when we could draft one who's cost controlled for years? Because we're going to use that pick to trade up to get a quarterback. And that's what makes me sick to my stomach. Is I'm getting a pit in my stomach thinking that the Bills may not have any intention of using that capital on prospects like running backs and cornerbacks and instead may truly be intending on leveraging all of their draft assets come April to swing for the fences and land a top-tier quarterback prospect. That's what we need to win. You say that. But do you know that this is, this is when you make that move, you are literally laying your big meaties on the chopping block. That's it. You are putting it out there that, listen, I'm going to go for broke on this. Exactly. For a GM in his very first draft, that's a ballsy move. Because if you're wrong, there's no guarantee that you're going to make it to see the next, (laughs) the fourth or the fifth when you may actually have that type of draft capital amassed again. Exactly. You get one chance at this, and this is Bean's shot. Trade up and get a quarterback. That's what I want. I want the Bills to have a quarterback because that's what it takes to win in the NFL. Everyone knows it. Yeah, well, the Bills won in the NFL at least enough to make the playoffs, and we did it behind the strength of our secondary. And that's what got us here. I mean, in 2017, the Bills rolled out a secondary that didn't have a single member who had ever played in a Bills uniform before. None of them had played with each other. The results, I mean, you saw the safety play we got. Both of them should have been pro bowlers. 
Both of them should have been Pro Bowlers. Exactly, except no one cares about the Pro Bowl. Excellent safety play. And then the emergence of Trey White is one of the better cornerbacks in the league. I mean, we have a secondary here for the Buffalo Bills that was easily the most effective unit and became the backbone of the defense as its most effective unit. Now, as we head into 2018, the Bills have a lot of decisions to make. And they've got some work to do in order to ensure that that unit doesn't regress because there were a lot of new faces last year, and now you're already talking about people leaving. I mean, first and foremost, EJ Gaines. He was acquired in, in with a trade to the Rams as part of the Watkins deal. The Bills were 100 yards per game better on defense with Gaines in the field. I don't think he's going to wow anybody with spectacular plays, but he's solid in coverage and he's good against the run, and he's an asset to any defense that might have him. Sharice Wright, well, he's an aging veteran who provided us with useful but kind of underwhelming depth, and he's a player that can almost certainly be upgraded. Now, Leonard Johnson, he's the last name that makes our existing player list, started at nickel defensive back for us. And his play was exactly what you'd expect from a veteran player. He was steady. He graded up positively against both the run and the pass. But he had games where he was, I mean, I swear to God, there was a couple games where he couldn't wrap a sandwich, much less a running back. He could be upgraded on as well, but at the same time, I wouldn't hate to see Leonard Johnson brought back on a reasonable short-term contract seeing that we brought in Vontae Davis. Considering all of the holes on our defensive line, our linebacker core, and our quarterback group, as well as wide receiver, it doesn't strike me as likely that the Bills are going to spend significant draft capital to address the position of defensive back. You also said that last season, and we did. But but Chris, you're right. We did spend a first-round draft pick. So now, do you see us, especially if as you keep pounding the table for we go to get a corner, a corner, uh, excuse me, a quarterback. Yeah, I'm pounding with my left hand because that's all I got. Do you expect trading that their up. next pick will be a defensive back? Because I don't think it will be. No, we could probably maybe a mid, mid to late round. Okay, and exactly. We're a team with limited cap space. Addressing cornerback depth with a later round draft pick makes sense. I mean, it's a viable option. But it begs the question. What prospects are out there that might be able to come in here with a late a late second, an early third, or maybe even on in the later rounds with one of those picks that can make an impact and fit our scheme? Well, Chris, I mean, that's a huge question coming into this draft. And, I mean, there's a lot of prospects out there to try to parse through, especially for the casual fan or just the, the person like me who sucks at scouting. Luckily tonight, we've got a guest to join us who's going to kind of walk through all of this is through the, I guess, the cornerback and safety market as far as defensive backs go heading into the NFL draft in 2018. We have with us tonight the host of Bleacher Report's Stick to Sports podcast, Mr. Connor Rogers. Connor, how are you doing tonight? Hey, guys. What's going on? <laughs> Not too much. Sounds like a lot's going on with you since we last talked. I mean, you came on our it, show it, last February almost to the week, and then two months later started the uh, Stick to Sports podcast over there at Bleacher Report. Yeah, yeah, we, it's been kind of crazy. So we launched, uh, yeah, it's right, two months after we launched Stick to Football with um, our launch episode with Mitch Trubisky, who obviously ended up being the talk of town on draft night. And mm-hmm. uh, we've been going 
weekly sense, two episodes every week, and it's, it's been a ton of fun, but there's no doubt that we have been absolutely slammed over at Bleacher Report over the last year since I talked to you guys. Now, who all works on this podcast with you? I know I saw Matt Miller. Is that correct? Yeah, me and Matt Miller are the hosts, and um, our producer, we call him Whiskey Dan, works for Turner Sports. He's our producer. Uh, he's been with us almost the whole time. We got him pretty early in the process. He's been absolutely great putting together the show, helping us out along the way. So, yeah, me and Matt Miller have been the, been the face of the podcast, and it's uh, no doubt been it's been crazy to see it grow as fast as it has. We've had a lot of help from different guests, different mm-hmm. PR contacts hooking us up and, and some really great people on the show. But, you know, between me, Matt and our producer, Dan, we, we've been carrying it. That's fantastic. And I mean, listen, I'll be the first one to tell you that I know the value of a solid producer because without mine, I would just be some drunk with a microphone. <laughs> that is me as well. I mean, I'm a guy that, listen, I still am a video producer at Bleacher Report, so I get that side of things, and I, I know how vital the position is, so I appreciate having one so much now. Yeah, especially me right now because I have a broken clavicle. <laughs> oh, so I am God, one I'm sorry arm. to hear that. Yeah, I am. I'm, I'm not. One, <laughs> this is hysterical. Yeah, I'm one arm. for the, It happened on Saturday, so I'm one arm for the next, I guess, 8 to 12 weeks. How did you do that? Uh, playing hockey on Saturday. Wait, I did, wait, wait. Okay. Playing roller hockey. Yeah. Don't, don't try to dress it up as if you play real sports. Oh, I do play real <laughs> sports. Roller hockey is a real thing. I toe-dragged someone, went to the outside, cut back to the front of the net, and the goalie put down his paddle, and my skates hit his paddle, and I just took a dive and landed oh, on my shoulder. Yikes. It's the first time I've ever See, broken a bone. If he was wearing pads like a real hockey player would have been in that situation, he might have been okay. So I almost feel like he had this coming. But, but I digress. So you guys have been doing this podcast. What, can you say, outside of Mitch Trubisky, obviously that first episode really kind of set you guys up because that was a big story heading into the draft. What have been some of your favorite moments of doing the podcast? I mean, the people definitely attach themselves to the mock draft. That's just the nature of the business with fans. They love hearing who their teams pick and, and how we feel about it or how who we think their teams will pick. Grading the drafts has been a ton of fun. But honestly, the guest segments have been so unique. We've had on Todd Gurley, Alvin Kamara, you know, Chris Harris Jr. The, li- the list just goes on and on. Of the- We've had a ton of guys that are going to be in this year's draft on the show. And it's just we each week we've had such really intriguing, interesting guests. Pat Mahomes, when he got the starting drop job after the Chiefs traded Alex Smith this offseason, we were the first to talk to him after that. So it- that's what's been so cool to really go behind the scenes and-, and make the players feel comfortable on the show. You know, like we, we always say, we're just two guys that like beer. We like football. And we like just hanging out. So it's not over the top too serious. We don't take ourselves too serious. So, you know, letting the players get a platform like that has been really cool. No, that's awesome. Now, where can people find that? It's on iTunes. I know it's on iTunes. Where else can they go to get it? If they, I mean, uh, Yeah, our producer tells us it's nearly everywhere now. I know Stitcher is a big one. The Bleacher Report app, if you have the app and you subscribe to Stick to Football's channel in the app, obviously iTunes is, is the go-to for many, but... It seems to be on every single podcast platform now. The more I, the more I look around, so you really can't go wrong with any of those three I just mentioned. No, oh, fantastic! I mean, you guys are really making a name for yourselves, and it's crazy to think that just a year ago you hadn't even done a podcast yet, and you were just kind of, you know, you didn't have your own. You were just kind of appearing on ours, and it was great. And then we come back, we come back, and I'm like, oh, I wonder what he's been doing. And then I start looking around, I'm like, wait a minute, what is this stick to sports podcast? Blown away. <laughs> yeah. You guys are killing it over there. Guys, for those of you listening, make sure you go check it out. Now, into the meat and potatoes of why we're both here tonight. 
the 2018 defensive back class. Now, I know this isn't really draft-related, but I want to pick your brain on it because it's cornerback-related. You're a guy who spends a lot of time scouting players and who discusses their value. Marcus Peters, his case, I think, is a really interesting one. A former first-round draft pick, defensive rookie of the year, and a pro bowler. Is it surprising to you at all that in the trade from the Chiefs to the Rams, it brought so little back to the Chiefs in compensation? No, it's not. It's unfortunate when you look at how this ended because, like you said, this is a an impressive player. This is one of the better players at the cornerback position, which is a premium position now in the NFL. But the thing is with Peters, this is a player that I went to bat for that year in the draft. I said he was the best corner. I said he was way better than Trey Waynes. And the biggest question for the NFL was everything off the field. How would he fit in with the locker room? How would you handle his personality? And I guess that's clearly carried over because when you look at this, listen, Peters is great on the field. And I know the the incident that many point to is the Jets game this year when he threw the flag into the stands, wasn't ejected and walked off the field and went to the locker room anyway, came back out without his cleats on. But there's clearly something going on behind the scenes, whether it's it is the fit in the locker room, whether it was the fit with the coaching staff. And, And most importantly, the thing to note is this is a guy that Kansas City who drafted him felt that they weren't comfortable extending him. It's, it's as simple as that. You you have to pay him top defensive player money in the future, and, and they were not clearly comfortable with that situation. We've seen this burn teams in the past, whether the most recent one really was the Jets with Muhammad Wilkerson. As soon as he got that mega extension, he completely checked out and has been essentially a useless piece for that defensive line when he was on the field. So they clearly felt that they were worried about giving Peters money. And I think what's so fascinating is you look at the MMQB story that came out today with Peter King is that 28 of the 31 teams just didn't offer anything. They were not interested. And I remember after the trade went down, I had actually talked to one of those teams because I thought it would have been a good fit at the time. And I said, listen, you know, is this a guy that you were interested in making an offer for? And the answer was simply no. There was no interest there. They weren't interested in bringing this player into their locker room. And Listen, I I do think you can make it work. I think he will be a really nice addition for the Rams because he is such a great player. And like I said, I went to bat for him before with the draft. I I hope that he can really figure it out in that locker room with that coaching staff under Wade Phillips because he's a great scheme fit. He's a great player. And and hopefully, you know, the personality concerns don't come to fruition in the future. And it, but it is very concerning that that's all the Chiefs got for what is essentially a star player. I mean, it's it really is. And I think one of the most damning things, and I think Pro Football Talk touched on it. When you think about it, it had it, it's if you're a GM and you get a phone call from a team like the Chiefs and they say, look, we want to make a, you know, hey, what would you give us for this player? He's a he's a pro bowler. He's a, he's a star player on your he could he could move in and be your number one guy tomorrow. What would you give me for him? And you know that they called Chris Ballard over in um, over in Indy, who was part of the group that drafted him, and that guy said absolutely not. If you know that, why would you? you that would scare you to death. Now, I guess the other part of my question is here: Do you think that that level of disinterest by the NFL as a whole? I mean, do you think it says more about the player himself, or do you think, I mean, does it say more about your ability to, at this day and age, find cornerbacks in the draft, or is a little, is it a little bit of both? Of course it's a little bit of both, but it does say a lot about the player. I, I think, it, listen, Chris Ballard is a guy that has a lot of connections around the league. He's a well-respected guy. So the teams that are connected to him probably reached out, and I mean, I'm not saying this happened, but you would assume they were smart enough to 
to reach out and listen, do their homework. You know, do, ask you know, the find guy, out hey, what's he is like. Is this a guy that would be worth bringing into our locker room? And it, you know, I'm not saying that happened, but you would think that's what they would do. So you make a great point that it's concerning. That now, here's what I will say for the Rams. This is a team that, when you look at it. They were pretty damn close this year when no one expected them to be that close. So they can kind of roll the dice here, get Peters on for, what, one year left in his deal, and franchise tag him if it works out. They don't necessarily have to pay him the long-term money in this window that they hope to be in a Super Bowl or win a Super Bowl in the next, what, two to three years? So I understand the side that they were the team willing to take the risk. But I can also understand why a lot of teams that have the assets to get this done that are in full rebuilds have little interest in it. I'll level with you. You and I could sit here for two hours and I could tell you everything that I don't like about what the Rams are doing right now because it's lunacy from where I sit. Just knowing what salary cap management, you know, knowing what I know about, you know, which is, I mean, a, <laughs> a little bit more than the layman's knowledge of how the NFL salary cap works. And draft, you know, the value of draft picks at this day and age, what they're doing is borderline lunacy. But having said that, I mean, we could fill up an hour with that. So I guess moving on, there is obviously a big difference when you're talking about cornerbacks in the draft versus established players. And I think that that's what the Rams are looking at. They're saying, hey, going into the draft is a crapshoot, whereas here's a proven commodity. And if I can get him for little to nothing, it's a win for me. Now, looking at this year's draft class at the defensive back position, you know, cornerback safeties, to me, there's. I look at what the Bills are doing now. We transitioned last season away from a man scheme, which is what Rex Ryan had always run, into a essentially cover three nickel-heavy zone scheme. And I, I feel like, and correct me if I'm wrong here, or I, I just want your opinion on this. To me, zone defense has allowed defensemen to be a lot more instinctive and work together as a group. Whereas when you, if you're playing your opponent on a one-on-one basis, which is what man coverage essentially needs you to do, it's much harder to do that. If you can do it well, I mean, we saw it with those great Jets defenses with Cromartie and with Revis. When you do it well, you can be the top of the NFL in defense. But a zone defense, I feel like you find a lot more athletes that can fit the mold you need. I mean, is that a fair thing to say? Yeah, for sure. And I, I think we're seeing a lot of a lot of different defenses mix it up, whether it's, you know, obviously it's just, you know, pattern coverage and all and all kinds of things like that. But you make a good point that listen, the reason a lot of teams don't run that one v one man assignments is because you have to have a certain kind of athlete to do it. Not everybody is Patrick Peterson in this league where they got length for days, can jam you and disrupt your routes at the line of scrimmage and can turn their hips and run down the field with you with four four kind of speed. So that's the thing to note here is that it almost makes sense to run the zone if you feel like you don't have the personnel like an elite corner to play the 1v1 or if you don't have the pressure to get home in the 1v1 scheme you can sit back in the zone you mm-hmm. can kind of bend but don't break now obviously in we know this very well in the AFC East you see Tom Brady kind of tend to rip apart those defenses at times yep. but you make a good point where it's Listen, you can get a guy that's instinctual, a guy that understands how to play in zone, a guy that can maybe capitalize off of turnovers that can be created in the zone. So it makes sense for Buffalo. I'm really curious to see with Buffalo, too, how do they build the front seven? That really makes the difference in what they do in the secondary. I mean, that's a huge part of it. I think that I mean, I'm a guy who watches a lot of SEC football. I watch a ton of Alabama. They're my team. Alabama is a team whose front seven is always so stacked. They're not afraid to play man-to-man defense on the outside because they know 
that if their guy gets torched and somebody's running deep, it doesn't matter because odds are the pass rush or the pressure up the middle is going to get home. So when you're transitioning to the, you know, away from that style of football to the NFL, I mean, you look at Trey White. Trey White was a – I hated the pick. I hated it. I railed against it, and <laughs> I had to eat – I mean, I'm still picking feathers out of my stool. That's how much crow I had to eat. Yeah, Drew, Drew was a little irritated that uh, we we didn't go with Reuben Foster, who was still on the board. <laughs> For well, obvious reasons. How do you feel now? <laughs> exactly. And that's my point is when you take a young corner like that who has obvious skills, he had skills, but he had his deficiencies, but you put him in his zone scheme, he's allowed to be a little more instinctual. He doesn't have to, you know, he's not forced to live on an island. And so I feel like in this draft, you know, when you take a look, Trey, I mean, Trey White wasn't a, you know, he was no slouch in last year's draft class, but he wasn't a name, he wasn't a household name. He wasn't one of the guys who you constantly heard the drum being banged for them being at the top of the draft class. Now, in this draft, both the cornerback and safety positions have some guys who kind of fit that mold. They all, they're all they constantly mentioned in the top 32 NFL prospects. So I guess when you look at what the Bills are going to be capable of doing in the draft this year, I simply don't see it in the cards for us to invest another high draft pick at, at the defensive back position. So what can you say about the depth behind each of those positions on through into the mid and later rounds where the Bills might actually be looking to acquire one? Yeah, well, the good thing is you don't have to. And, you know, with the Bills having so many premium assets in this draft, can I make the argument that, hey, go get another corner because they're so good in this class? Sure, but what if the Bills trade up and try to get a quarterback? Then those first rounders and, you know, some of the twos might be gone. So the good thing is here with this corner class, you're right. It's deep. There is talent that's going to slide. Obviously, guys like Denzel Ward out of Ohio State, Josh Jackson from Iowa, and even Mike Hughes from Central Florida, those are first-round players. It's as simple as that. We're going to see Isaiah Oliver, the corner from Colorado, test really well this weekend. I think he can work his way into that back end of round one conversation, too. Now, what about after them, and what is Buffalo looking for? You you kind of say that Buffalo wants to maybe play off coverage in a zone, or are, are they going to be looking for guys to jam? You have a guy like MJ Stewart from UNC, a guy that's used to playing so much press coverage, but how is he going to be in off coverage? They got him working on that down at the Senior Bowl, and I think he's going to be a really nice round three or four option, but the question is how does he make that transition? Now, when you're just looking for guys that can be pure athletes in the secondary for Buffalo, maybe in that third round range, like we said, Quentin Meeks from Stanford is another guy, another guy that defends the red zone really well, and I think that's so important when we're Going back to saying this bend but don't break kind of coverage, Quentin Meeks is a pretty good athlete from Stanford, but once again, a guy that can really shut down the fade in the end zone and and be that kind of player. So there's so many different kind of corners in this class. Then you have Jair Alexander, a guy from Louisville that, let's be real, he'd be a top 40 lock if he wasn't battling injuries all year. Mm -hmm. But the fact of the matter is he couldn't stay healthy, and NFL teams do have concern about concerns about that long-term health well, now this could be one of those diamond in a rough kind of players where you look at it and say Jair Alexander is sitting there at the top of round three a guy that was a shutdown player is he a little undersized yes but is he's so perfect for Buffalo because he will stick his nose against the run he can be a shutdown corner I, I think he listen is he going to test off the charts no but he's a good enough athlete so when you're betting on guys like that that you've seen do it before mm-hmm. And, you know, the stock is a little – you're buying low essentially right now. That's the kind of guys you're looking for if you don't want to use the premium selections on a well, cornerback. Exactly. And I, and I feel like that's where the Buffalo Bills are going to fall. That's just in my heart of hearts. But I feel like I'd be doing my listeners and also myself because I, I'll be the first one to admit it. I can't scout worth a damn. 
If I did, I'd be working over with, uh, I don't know, I'd be working at Bleacher Report or with Eric <laughs> Turner over at Cover One or with anybody else who actually knew things. So I guess the question becomes this. First and foremost, who are some of your favorite players at defensive back in this 2018 class? I mean, there's got to be a couple that you just look at from, you know, you know, 100 yard, and you say, that guy is going to be a stud. Who, who are some of yours? I mean, the top three, to me, are just locks. And it, it doesn't even have to be, you don't even have to start with Denzel Ward or Josh Jackson, but Mike Hughes from Central Florida is the guy that, his name really didn't come up until after the season. This is a team that didn't lose a game. This is a guy that started his career at UNC and had to leave the team. He did have some arrest charges that were dropped and left the team, went to JUCO, worked his way back into Division One ball, and obviously played at Central Florida where he was a star. He was a star returner, a star cornerback. He has incredible ball skills. He can play press coverage at the line of scrimmage. He's going to run really well. I'm talking sub 4-4 kind of speed in the 40-yard dash. So when you look at Hughes, if he can answer for his early, early career of off-field problems, then this is a guy that should go in the first round and I think will absolutely be an impact player from day one. But getting to those top two guys, you look at Josh Jackson, you're talking about length. I think this is the guy, listen, if the Bills don't move from 21 or 22 and this guy does somehow slide to that range, this is almost a no-brainer because, yes, he has the length, the arms. to look. He looks like a press corner, but he actually does some of his best work in off coverage where he can use those instincts to jump routes with the long arms. He's incredible with leaping ability to kind of recovering coverage at times. So Josh Jackson is a guy that he's been a riser. It's funny when we talk about that. We've had him on the podcast and talked about he was getting looks as a receiver in, in spring ball of 2015. I remember hearing And now that. we're talking about him as a, a top 15 kind of prospect in this draft at cornerback. So, so when you look at these guys, see, and I guess this is the thing, you have the unique position where you're going to be at the combine. Who are you going out of your way to watch from this defensive backs group? I mean, safeties, cornerbacks, out of all of them, who are you going out of your way to see what they put out there? Well, I think it's really just answering questions because I know what Ward, Jackson, and Hughes are, right? And, and even Oliver to an extent. Those guys are great athletes that are great cornerbacks. But what about a guy like Carlton Davis from Auburn, another long physical press corner? How is he going to run? We saw him play at the line of scrimmage so much at Auburn where he can jam. He can punch receivers in the mouth and really slow, disrupt them off the line of scrimmage. But how is he when he has to turn his hips and run down the field? How is he as an athlete overall? These are things that we don't necessarily know yet and can separate a guy from being a top 40 player to a top 75, top 80 kind of player. Those things really do matter at the cornerback position. So I think that really matters a lot. And then you look at somebody else like Nick Nelson, a guy that played in the Big Ten after transferring from Hawaii and a player that, listen, is he the biggest guy in the world? No, you know, but he's feisty and he can be physical and he can be a very, very good cover corner. I believe he actually led college football in pass breakups even without having an interception. So he's always around the ball, but how does he run? Once again, a lot of people are saying, does he have the 4-5 speed? I think so. I see it on tape, and I see him as a guy that he's being talked about in the fifth round right now, but there's no reason he can't get into that third or fourth round range after he shows everybody that he can run, and he's not just this underrated corner in this very deep class. Well, then, shh. Everyone, stop paying yeah. attention to this guy. <laughs> Shh. Guys, if anyone at One Bill's Drive is taking note, l- write, write his name down. Just put it in your pocket, save it for later. Everyone else, just d- pay no attention to the man behind the curtain over here with this guy. Uh, so I want to run some of my favorite defensive backs in this class by you. They're guys that I've watched. You know, I've watched a lot of football. 
And Saturdays, that's my day. I sit down. I start organizing our podcast. I drink a lot of beer, and I watch a lot of college football. So guys that I've taken note of, and I've watched a little bit of, you know, just highlight tapes, a little bit of film, positive and negative, and kind of weighed them against each other and see things from them that I think could benefit the Bills, and I want your take on them. You know, this is a list of my guys. First and foremost, we're going to get the obligatory Alabama players out of the way, and it's going to start (laughs) with cornerback Tony Brown. I, I, <laughs> I mean, talk about just athlete. And, and I'll, I'll be completely honest with you. There's part of me that when I see Tony Brown, it, it's I always wanted more, right? Because mm-hmm. he just looks like a freak. He's got mm. the length. He can, you know, he can run for days. There's no doubt about that. But you always want to see this prototype kind of shut down defensive back. And, and I don't think that's what he is. But to me, he looks like a day three player just based off of special teams ability alone. Well, exactly. This is a player that came to Alabama and really helped out right away from that. That's one thing I love about Alabama players mm-hmm. is that even when you're a top recruit, you really do your dirty work right away as a freshman or just an underclassman general on special teams and earn your way onto the field. We've even seen it with Rashawn Evans, the linebacker, not to get completely off script here, but same kind of path. I think it's been the same for Tony Brown. Did he contribute in the secondary? Of course he did. We saw it in the national championship game. But when it comes down to it with Brown, he's a very good athlete and a guy that clearly has no problem earning his way on special teams. The question is, can an NFL team you know, develop him as a as depth in, on a defensive back roster? Well, and that's just it. Because when I look at Tony Brown, this is what I see. He's my favorite. I, I mean, if I had to pick one, he would be my, my number one with a bullet for a depth option DB in this year's class. Because he's versatile. The thing I like about him is that I've watched him play at Alabama, and I know they play a lot of man coverage. And he did okay. I think that, but the thing that's most impressive about him is that as a defensive back, he's a hammer. And he plays with a mean streak. I mean, Alabama used him a lot as a blitzer in order to create pressure, and he's a very aggressive tackler. He's very well when it comes to tackling. I think the most I think that's one of the hardest things for defensive backs is that there's a technique that comes to tackling when it comes to running plays. You know how to shed a block and how to get in on a running play. The one thing you saw to Tony Brown time and time again in the Washington game, in the Peach Bowl, in the you know in, in the national title game, in the game against Clemson, you saw flash plays against the run from this cornerback because he's big enough and he's got the length that he can shed tackles. And he's a violent and aggressive tackler. So that, and obviously that's that, that kind of leads itself to his, I want to say, very solid play on special teams. You know, he spent so much time on special teams for Alabama, and he was very good there. He took that tackling ability and brought it to playing defensive back. He has the speed, I think, to be a good cornerback, but I don't think he has the finesse that it takes to be a man coverage corner. And I think that somewhat devalues defensive backs. I mean, you said it. The guys who can do that, the Patrick Petersons of the world, they're at a premium. So a guy like Tony Brown, if you could put him in a zone scheme like what we run, where you know, and I've seen him fill in because of injury. I mean, this year our team was decimated by injury. He filled in in that kind of second to third safety role sometimes when he was asked to do it, and he did very well. He tackles well. He's a good blitzer. He's a great athlete. At worst, he helps you on special teams, and at best, he becomes that kind of third, fourth DB option for you, and he doesn't cost you a lot because he's probably anywhere from a third to a fourth-round draft pick. I mean, is that fair to say? 
Oh, yeah, he's sitting in day three for me. I, I think, once again, going back to it, though, that's good special teams value for a guy that you can hope to develop. I think he's kind of in that fifth to sixth round range. But, you know, listen, Alabama players with their pro readiness sometimes go earlier than that. And then there's an honorable mention here that I want to bring up, Levi Wallace. Levi Wallace is a guy. Now, Anthony Everett, I don't understand it. I've, I've read a lot of things. The, the defensive back out of Alabama who was, I mean, you, outside of Minka Fitzpatrick, you're going to call him our number two defensive back. Everett doesn't do anything special for me when I watch him play. I think he's steady, but I don't think he's anything great. Whereas Levi Wallace, I don't know, he, he, he played so well that even behind those two, you couldn't keep him off the field. And I think that had he come along a year, you know, if he had come along a couple years later, he'd be filling in that kind of Anthony Everett role. But because of his place there, he could fall even farther than these guys in the draft and make a useful pickup for somebody somewhere. I mean, can you at least, have you watched anything on him? Yeah, I saw him in first, first hand at the Senior Bowl. I mean, I, I was literally three feet from the guy. At the Senior <laughs> Bowl, when we, when we break everything up at Bleacher Report, I always take the DBs. And when the DBs do one-on-ones, I always go down on the field because that's really when you learn if a guy has got dog in him or he doesn't. It's as simple as that. That's the time to show up. They say, listen, I'm going to run with this receiver or I simply cannot. So I think with Levi Wallace, I was actually impressed with how smooth he is and you know his nose for the ball. I think he's... He's gone underrated in that Alabama secondary. When Listen, when you play in a secondary that has Minka Fitzpatrick and <laughs> Ronnie Harrison, two guys that yeah. we know Minka's a top 10 lock. We know Ronnie Harrison's you know kind of sniffing in that top 40 kind of range. It, it, you don't get as much love, but this is a guy that he broke up, you know, well over 10 passes this year. He did have the three interceptions, and, mm-hmm. you know, I believe he took one of those back to the house yes, on a sir. long one against Ole Miss. So uh, when you look at Levi Wallace, the, the biggest thing that scares me is he weighed in at 175 pounds at the Senior Bowl. Yes. And standing next to him, he, he looks it. He's light in the pants. It's as simple as that. And these receivers in the NFL, they bully you nowadays. Mm-hmm. Listen, <laughs> these are the guys that get the call. So if you can't hang as a corner – And it's going to be really tough for you just with the way the game's officiated. But it might just be a fluke. If Wallace can get up to 185 and keep that smooth ability and keeps his nose for the ball, he's a guy that's going to stick. There's no doubt about that. So then moving on to another prospect that I've kind of that kind of stuck out this season to me who I kept tabs on. He doesn't even play in the SEC, which is how that's it takes a lot to drag me out of the SEC when it comes to watching football on a Saturday. DJ Reed, cornerback out of Kansas State. He's projected in that three to you know third round to fifth round, maybe even sixth round range. But he's not a small guy. He's six feet tall. He comes in at the 190 pound range, and he's not a household name. But I think that I think the reason I like him most. You look at what he did: nine pass breakups and 47 tackles. That's not bad for a guy who projects as a depth cornerback. You know, the nine pass breakups is important to me. You know, after after watching what Trey White did this year and kind of paralleling that back to his tape in college, there's something to be said for a guy who year over year gets those pass breakout numbers. Because it means that even if he's not bringing them in for INTs, he still knows, he's got some awareness to him to play the ball in the air. Now, what I love about Reed is that he's a guy who can play special teams at a high level. He, the kid averaged 34 yards per kick return and 15 yards per punt return as a special teams player. If I'm not mistaken, we haven't had a, a punt return for a touchdown uh, in three years when we played Green Bay. No, that's it. I, I mean, it wasn't even Leotis McKelvin, who that was supposed to be his, that was supposed to be right in his wheelhouse. He was supposed to be that guy for us. And it wasn't even him who ran it back. 
I mean, that kind of special teams production is what the Bills sorely need. When you consider the fact that we've been subpar at best in all, all of our return games. Now, with Reed, I think that you're getting a guy who I don't know you could come in and just play. I don't think he could be your nickelback. I don't think he could come in and do much for you outside of the return game. But I think over time you could groom him to be something for you on top of what he gives you as a returner. Now, I don't know. How do you feel about the guy? All right, listen, I like DJ Reed a lot. I think he's going to measure in a little smaller than you expect. I do think his problem is he's probably, what, 5'9", about 185 pounds. Really? So when you look at Reed, the big thing for him is going to be height. He's a slot corner. Now, that's no problem. You guys should know as well as anyone. Oh, you yeah. saw a guy that thrived in the nickel at college in Trey White really uh, transition to the NFL to thrive in that role. It matters a lot in today's game. Look at some of the best slot weapons in the NFL that really take over the AFC East at times, whether it's Julian Edelman, who we did miss this year, and, and obviously Jarvis Landry, who's been franchise mm-hmm. tag. We even saw the Jets make very good use of Jermaine Curse after trading for him from Seattle. So slot options matter, which means slot corners matter. And that's where DJ Reed's bread and butter is. He obviously, the return game, he's electric. He's a game changer there. And I, I think that's where he gets his value. Listen, this guy to me, if he was six feet tall, he would be a round two player, but he's not. Now, that does matter for a lot of teams with their size threshold at the defensive back position. But at the end of the day, if this guy goes to the back end of round three, early round four, I completely understand the pick because he's a, he's a player that, like you said, he has a nose for the ball. He makes plays. But when you can help on special teams right away, mm-hmm. that's such an important impact. And that versatility gets you drafted earlier out of that day three range, possibly. Now, there's a guy here that I have a lot of questions about, and I'm going to have to lean on you to give me the skinny on him because I really don't understand it. Cornerback Holton Hill out of Texas. The guy's 6 feet, 200 pounds. At least that's what I've seen published. I don't know what he's actually going to come in at. They're saying he could be... Well, they're saying that he could be a third to fourth to fifth round prospect, which is kind of a wide variance for a guy who spent a lot of the season playing some really damn good cornerback. And then, I don't know, he ran afoul of the coaches, got suspended for three games. I I don't, I mean, maybe this is, maybe the Marcus Peters effect, maybe this falls into that, under that umbrella. I don't understand what happened to this guy and where does his value lie in your opinion? Well, there's clearly character problems, and the suspensions, you know, is something going on there, whether it's a failed drug test, whether, you know, God only knows what at the at level, and for him to lead the game, listen, he got a significant suspension, I believe it was six games at the halfway point of the season after he was playing yep. shutdown football, I mean, my co-host Matt Miller mocked him in the first round when he was at the peak of his season, but... When the rumors start to trickle out that there are problems there, whether it's that you can't stay on the field for whatever reason it is, are you going to be a responsible player when this is your job at the next level, when someone pays you millions of dollars to do it? That's the question mark around Holton Hill right now. So, listen, he decided to, instead of going back to Texas, he decided it would be his best interest to make the jumps to the NFL. Teams might say, listen, he's got his baggage. But the talent is too good. He has round two talent. So maybe we take him round three or four. But listen, if he doesn't interview well this week at the Combine or he doesn't show that he's ready, he's going to slide to the end of day three or maybe even undrafted depending on how wow. bad it is. You think it could – and see, and I guess this is why I kind of included the Marcus Peters conversation as – you know, I kind of prefaced all this. When you see a guy, and I think more and more and more teams are becoming sensitive. Now, I had an argument with a guy today who played, who was a quarterback for albeit a D3 football team, but he he's played college football. 
And he tells me, uh, now that he kind of runs his own thing and he kind of writes about sports and things of that nature, he talks about how he doesn't care. Give him a team full of guys who have bad character and this, that, the other thing, and he'd have the best offense in football. But I feel like there's a movement in the NFL right now. And I think it, I mean, you can go all the way back to the Ray Rice incident. I think it started there, but I think it's kind of ratcheted up a few notches where teams are really starting to shy away from players who seem to invite trouble. Is that is that a fair statement? Of course, because it's all on accountability and reliability. And listen, you it builds a long-term window rather than a volatile short-term one. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just one of those things that I look at and I say, you know, this guy, for all of his things, you know, even in the third or fourth round, I like the guy because, like you said, he was playing elite football, first-round caliber football, and then he, he did something. He pissed someone off, and now he's looking at maybe being undrafted, you know, kind of like a Vontez Perfect sort of thing. So somebody out there somewhere will will eventually decide, kind of like the Bengals did, that talent trumps all that but when you do i feel like you're married to that player that's why he's so interesting to me because like you saw with the peters trade and i guarantee you if the Bengals called any linebacker needy team in football and said hey we'll trade you perfect what would they get in return almost nothing i'm willing to put money on now the the next guy i wanted to talk to you about is really a guy you said you haven't scouted uh dane crookshank out of arizona yeah, I mean, listen, I've seen Arizona play plenty of times to know that they haven't had the best defense in a while, it seems <laughs> like. But when you look at Kirkshank, listen, this is a guy that people really like him because he's kind of – it's funny. We say these cliche things, but just looks like a safety. Looks like a guy that can come down and really lay the hammer. But is he a little stiff in coverage? Does he have the instincts to cover? I don't see that. So when you look at a guy like this with this build and you want to see you know, how does he test and all of those things, whether it's at the combine, whether it's at a pro day – it comes down, can he make his way as a rotational safety? Can you find a role for him? Can he play down in the box is, is the big question. So, listen, it's a guy that – have I seen a ton of the all-22 on him yet? No, but have I seen enough to know that, listen, he, he's not one of the top DBs necessarily in this class, whether you want to play him at safety, whether you want to try him at corner. He has the size, but is he a fluid enough athlete or is he an instinctual enough athlete to play at a starting level caliber? I, I didn't see that earlier in the year. Well, and, that's, and I guess that's my point of contention that I want to bring to your doorstep. You look at Dan Crookshank and you say, okay, he's a guy who, at cornerback, he's not a lot to write home about. And that's where he spent the, his career at Arizona. And everyone's saying, oh, well, that's safety size. He's got safety size. He's got safety ability. The Buffalo Bills previously drafted a guy in the second round of the NFL draft to play cornerback. And he was rough, to say the least, for the first two years of his career. In year three, a new D coordinator came in and said, you know what, I'm going to move you to safety. And that guy went on to be one of the best Bills safeties we've had in the last couple years up until we have our recent safety tandem of uh, Micah Hyde and Jordan Poyer. And that guy's Aaron Williams out of Texas. Now, I'm looking at Dane Crookshank, and I'm not saying he's Aaron Williams. What I'm saying is that when I look at the Buffalo Bills, we are already set with one of the best safety tandems in the AFC. I'm willing to say that. When you look at the depth behind them, it's shaky at best. I mean, in 2017, we had undrafted free agent Trey Elston starting games for us. We had other players rotating in with Trey Elston because he couldn't hold up for entire games because we had starters go down with injury, and the depth just wasn't there. Now, 
I would look at this and think that if there's a late round pick to be made in the defensive in that part of the secondary, well, first and foremost, there's not going to be an early round pick invested in safety because our starters are very good. But if there's a late round pick to be made, I have two names. I have this Dane Crookshank, who I think could come in and kind of fill that backup rotational role and learn behind these guys. And then also Damon Webb out of Ohio State. Now, what do you think about him? He's another guy that, you know, similar to Crookshank, I just wonder how fluid is this guy? Is he is he a little too stiff in coverage? I think when you look at what the Bills asked to do, whether it's putting guys over the top, you want guys that it can necessarily turn their hips and cover. It's as simple as that or, or have the sideline to sideline kind of range. I haven't seen that from Webb. Now, the biggest problem with the safeties in this class is it's not that deep. Last year, we had a deep safety group. After the Minka Fitzpatrick, Derwin James, Ronnie Harrison's of the world, and even when you get to the next year and you talk about a guy like Kaiser White from West Virginia, it, it starts to really drop off. And that's why you look at guys like Webb and Kirkshank, which, listen, are probably projected seventh-round kind of picks. Yep. Can you find a diamond in the rough? Can you develop them? That's the biggest question. I don't love the fit for either in Buffalo, but, listen, I would be very happy to be wrong on both. Well, so let me ask you, who do you think is a fit? I mean, if you had – if you were the Buffalo Bills, you're on the clock, and you've got your – I mean, we have a we have a couple fifth-round picks. And in the fifth round, you're sitting there, and there's somebody out there who you would be willing to take a shot at, a depth guy who may develop. He may not. He may end up being nothing. Who would you be willing, and who do you think might be there in that range that Bills fans might want to keep tabs on? Yeah, that's it's, like I said, it's not the range that you want to bet on. But one guy I really did like down in Mobile was Jeremy Reeves, the the defensive back from South Alabama. He's a little small, but you want to talk about a guy that can cover, that can move as well as anyone. It, it's a shame he didn't get a combine invite, which makes no sense because he was one of the better DBs down there. He was a very solid DB for the team the entire year. So when you're looking at day three guys that drop just because they are a little bit undersized but can play that safety role, that fit – the zone coverage that the Bills want to do, that would be the guy that I would keep an eye on. In a safety class that's very, very shallow, you're going to have to spend a pick if you want a starting caliber one. You don't want to wait till day three, but if you do, and there is a diamond in the rough in this class, that's the guy I'm betting on. Now, Connor, is there a, is there a guy in the secondary that uh, you feel is not getting enough uh, attention on the national media level? Uh, yeah, I mean, it goes back to a couple of the guys I said before at corner. I think you look at a guy like Nick Nelson, I think he does, he's gotten no attention at all. And he looks like, to me, a guy that can find his way into the back end of the top 10 corners in this class. It's, it's interesting how quiet it has been on Carlton Davis after such a good year at Auburn. I mean, it, it is interesting when you look at all these guys, because this is such a deep corner class that you go through and you keep finding more and more. And even MJ Stewart, like I said earlier, we hear so much about guys like Dante Jackson, who's going to run a blazing fast 40 at, at the combine. But he's, he's not a good corner, as good a corner as these other guys. So mm-hmm. it's really interesting when people really do dive down to the film and we do get to the draft weekend of day two and day three. I think those are the names you want to keep an eye on because I think those guys can actually be impact cover corners as rookies next year. See, now, and that's the stuff that I guess – as Bills fans, we're looking for is just who are these people who we need to know? I think you've given us a prolific list of names here that fans can take away. They can go and do their own. You know, the guys who are really plugged into the draft and who are still listening to our show every single week because you're maniacs, um, they can go out there and they can go into the combine. They can go into the pre-draft process and say, hey, here's a guy that I might want to keep tabs on because it sounds like he has a little bit of ability. 
I don't have the ability to bring it to him. So thank you, Connor, for bringing that to my show tonight. I very much Of course, guys. It. Anytime. It's always fun. Our little annual catch-up, right? <laughs> Absolutely. Have fun at the Combine this yeah. year. And now, where, where can we uh, find all your work on Twitter and where are you on the Internet? <laughs> yeah, no doubt. You could follow me at Connor J. Rogers on Twitter. You can follow at Stick to Football on Twitter. That's a great place to reach everybody under the, uh, the Stick to Football umbrella under Bleacher Report. And I do all my writing at FanRag Sports. So I, I think that weekly, covers the man, large majority of it unless something else picks up soon. <laughs> you have a weekly column over at FanRag, right? That's correct. On Mondays, the NFL Draft Spotlight. Make sure you guys go ahead and follow Connor Rogers on Twitter. Listen to his podcast, Stick to Football. He's on Bleacher Report. Got his, you know, articles on FanRag. Always fun to talk to once a year. Dude, he's he's such an eloquent guy, and he does such a great job. And the player interviews he gets, like you said, they're relaxed. They're funny. I listened to the Elvin Kamara one today, and I was blown away by how how good of a podcaster he is without ever really having any previous experience stepping into it. It's incredible. Make sure you follow him. And guys, we're over here at Rockpile Report on Twitter. RockpileReport716 at gmail.com. We love answering fan mail where we try to be interactive throughout the course of the postseason. Coming up to training camp, we're going to be there in some capacity, so make sure that you guys get a hold of us. We'll meet up with you guys. We're more than than happy to crack a beer with a couple fans. Yeah, I'll have two arms by then. (laughs) And as soon as we finish this, Drew's going to ice down my shoulder. All right, guys. We got to get out of here. I'm Drew Gear. That's Chris Krueger. Thanks for showing up, because this has been the Rock Pal Report. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.